So I started a series last week called Promises, a series called Promises. And during this series, we're going to be talking, my, hey Siri thought I was talking to her. No, stop, <laughs> stop. And, um, but we started this, that, uh, last week called Promises, and we're going to go through this month, and I'm going to share with you different perspectives of the promises of God. So would you stand with me for just a moment before we begin this one today? Father, I lift my voice over the men and the women, the people that are gathered today that are present in this building and those who are also watching online, and I lift my voice over each of us, help our eyes to see and our ears to hear. I pray today that we will receive what you give us, that we will not resist it, that we will not set it aside, it's a simple word, it's a practical word, it's not a difficult word, it's a life-giving word, and I hope that we will receive it that way. Help us today by Holy Spirit to be prepared in our heart to receive the fullness of what you want to release. And if there is something that you want me to say that in my natural nature I somehow don't say, I pray that they still hear that, that every single person will hear what you want said even if I don't say it. Let it be heard today. I thank you that you've trusted me uh, to be a conduit of the release of your anointing and word this morning and that you have trusted all of us to be hearers of it. And we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So today, the second part of the series, Promises, is called The Love of God. So I want to talk to you for the next you know, 20 to 30 minutes about the love of God. What does, do you believe that? You believe that? The love of God, and I want to help you see it from the perspective, I hope, of the Father's heart. So I'm going to begin, first of all, by reminding us uh, how emphatic the Father is and how important it is to the Father, His promises. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. In the New Living Translation, it reads like this. It says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled. That's a pretty cool statement if that's all I said. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ, and I love this, the reason I'm, I use the New Living Translation is because of the way they put this, have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Yes! All of the promises of God have been fulfilled. Yes! Sort of what I did last night when the Titans beat the Patriots. Yes! thought I would throw that in. That was a promise of God. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Can somebody give me a resounding yes? Yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. Isn't that cool? And through Christ, because of Christ, because of Christ in us, 
our amen, all the promises of God are yes and amen. It's said different ways, different versions, but all the promises of God are absolute. They are, it's a done deal. He released it. The promise is certain. What we do with that promise is what's not certain. But the promise of God is certain. So they've been fulfilled in Christ and through Christ, through our relationship with Christ, our amen, our amen, our yes goes back to the Father for his glory because he receives glory when we confirm that we have received his word to us. We send back a confirmation. Our yes and amen is a confirmation to the Father that yes, we trust you, we have faith in you, we believe you. Your word is true. We know we've accepted, we've received what you promised us. So we are confirming back to you that we believe you. We're aligning with you. We're lined up with you. We're in agreement with you. And that is to his and for his glory. So let me ask you a question. What good is a promise if it isn't a promise kept? It's not a promise. The moment a promise is not kept, it ceases to be a promise. It was a good intention, it was a good idea, good thought, an emotional decision, but there is no promise that is any good if it is not a promise that is kept. And I can tell you, what I can tell you about the Father, and I'm going to break this down in a moment, is that He keeps all of His promises all ways, all the time. Every promise the Father ever released, He has kept. Now, There might be somebody that's saying, well, I don't know, he promised me this, but it didn't happen. Or he promised me this, but it didn't happen. We need to be careful that we do not confuse our emotional desires with the promises of God. Just because I want something doesn't mean it was promised to me. We got to be careful that we align with him. And the only way to do that, I can't say that God promised me something if I have no relationship with him. Because you won't know what he's promised. I only know what he's promising me because I have a relationship with him. And relationship is defined by the communication, the communion that I have with the Father. If there's no communion with the Father, I can never know what his promises are. That's like trying to figure out what my wife is thinking without her ever talking. I might be able to do a little bit. I might be able to tell by the way she nods her head or winks her eye or whatever. But I'm never going to know the fullness Even though that we've been married for 27, almost 28 years, I'll never know the fullness of what's in her heart unless I commune with her. Communion is important. So I want to talk about a few things today, four things, but I'm going to mention three of them right now. One, first of all, his love for us is one, unequaled. Everybody say unequaled. Unequaled. His love for us is unconditional. Say unconditional. unconditional. And it's constant. Say it's constant. His love for us is unequaled, it is unconditional, and it is constant. There's nothing extraordinarily deep about the things that I'm going to tell you today. There's nothing that requires a whole lot of revelatory insight for you to get what I'm going to talk to you about today. It's black and white, very simple. It's what you see is what you get, but full of power. Full of power, full of opportunity. Are you ready for it this morning? So let's talk about the first one. His love for us, God's love for us, Yahweh's love for us is unequaled. That means there's nothing that even compares. Nothing similar. His love for us is unequaled. Let me, 
validate that with this scripture that you know and know well and probably have it memorized. John 3.16 in the English Standard Version says this, says, For God so loved the world. I'm going to say it a little bit different. Everybody say this with me. Say, God God loved the world so much. Now, first of all, let's understand what the world is. It's the world. Let me, let me, maybe this, this will throw a little revelatory. Maybe this will stretch some a little bit. The world isn't you and me. For God so loved the world, not you and me, only. For God so loved everything he created so much that he was willing, and I'm paraphrasing, he's willing to redeem man so that man could again rule and reign over his creation and cause it to be his glory. And rule and reign over his creation isn't just ruling and reigning over the waters and the grass and the mountains and the valleys and the trees and the whatever you want to call it or the skies. It isn't just that. It's ruling and reigning over this part of his creation. For God so loved his creation. Say it with me. His creation. creation. For God's love is so unequaled He loved his creation that included man, but isn't only man. It's also the trees. If he created it, he so loved it. If he made it, he so loved it. For God so loved the aardvark. Oh, come on, Steve. Now you're being silly. I'm not. For God so loved the cobra. For God so loved the scorpion. I'm trying to think of something my my wife doesn't like. Oh, for God so loved the cockroach. My wife would say, uh, no. He didn't. That was an error. (laughs) But for God so loved all of creation that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So here's what happens. You don't have eternal life. See, eternal life, oh, man. I'm trying. I've said, Steve, keep it simple today. Let me just throw this out there. I'm going to confuse some people. Sorry. So that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is not our promise in the heavens. Eternal life is our promise, is our promise. Period. God didn't just create the heavens. He created the heavens and the earth. He created all of it. So in order for me to have eternal life, I have to believe in him. And if I'm going to have eternal life, I better take care of everything that he's given me authority over. And that's my body. And that's the part of the ground I walk on. That's the trees that I plant or eat from. You hearing me today? I'm not a tree hugger. Sort of. I appreciate it. I can't go there. So let me just stop. I said, Steve, focus. John 3, there's a lot going on in my mind right now. I could take this 
in a deep way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. His love, say it with me, his love love. is is unequaled. There's nobody in this room probably that has not loved and then lost. Likely nobody in this room that hasn't loved and lost, whether it be a natural, I mean, a a person or a a thing. Uh, I've lost both. I've lost a person, persons. I've lost, and many of us, most of us have, and I've lost things. But most recently, I lost my little buddy, Hershey. And three weeks ago, I had to put, four weeks, three and a half weeks ago, December the 10th, I had to put my little Hershey to sleep, and Hershey was my chocolate lab, and he was my buddy in, a, in, in every, every way. I love that dog, and it hurt so bad. I'm paint this picture. When I walked into the room where they were going to put him to sleep and he laid down on that floor, he was so tired and his legs hurt. He had cancer. He had uh, torn ACL in both of his back legs. He was in bad shape. And I denied the truth for a long time. And, and, uh, but it hurt so bad, I just couldn't imagine. I mean, the day before I took him, I'm in my yard and I had him out there and I just wanted to do what he loved the most. He loved working in the yard with me. Loved it, was afraid of nothing. If I was cutting down a tree, I would have to make sure and move him out of the way because I was afraid he wouldn't run away as fast as I would. And because he was going to be near me, no matter where I was, Hershey was going to be somewhere close to me. He didn't make a noise. He was always there, but never in the way. And he didn't make a noise, nothing. He would just be there. And it hurt so bad when I took him into that room and then when I put him in the car and I had to drive him away from my house realizing this is the last time my little buddy is ever going to be in this yard with me and help me do this work. It hurt. I just can't tell you. It hurt. It hurt. And the crazy thing about it is I did not think for a second I could love a dog like I loved Hershey. When I got that dog, I'm tell- I've heard people talk about how much they love their animals, and I would laugh. <laughs> I had people come to me, ask me to pray for their animals, and I would... I wouldn't. <laughs> and I repent of that because I prayed for Hirsch. And, um, but I did not think it was possible to love a dog like I loved Hershey. I've loved other things. I just, I'll, I'll just stick with Hershey. Didn't think it was possible to love an animal like I loved that dog. I literally would have done anything within my power, if I knew I had, if I had anything I could have done that would have healed his little body and let him go home with me that day, there is nothing that I would have had at my disposal I wouldn't have given to him. There wasn't, there was nothing. I would have done absolutely anything to keep him alive, yet all of that love did not compare, and I cried Man, I'm telling you, I cried harder. I don't know. It's been a long time since I cried that hard, and I held his little head laying on that floor on my lap, and I sobbed my eyes out, 
and I whispered to him and I spoke to him as though he could understand every word that I said. And just with all of that, does not compare. I'm not trying to compare God to a dog. When I'm talking about the kind of love that we have, you think about the things that you love and you've lost. And sometimes we don't recognize how much we love something until suddenly it's not there. We can accept that we love it, but in its passing, we get a reality check of what the depth of that love really was. And when it comes to the Father, there's nothing that equals the love that He has for you and me. And Scripture says, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son so that anyone anyone no matter who they are He gave so that anyone 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 doesn't matter who they are doesn't matter what the condition of their life He gave His Son so that anyone who believes in Him would not perish none of us has the capacity to love like that. We measure it up. He used His Son as currency to purchase your freedom. We pull out our wallet and take out a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars or twenty or whatever and we go and we purchase something. The Father pulled out His wallet, pulled out His Son and said, here, this is for your freedom. He became the currency because that was the only currency that had the value necessary in order to redeem mankind back to himself. None of us has the capacity to love like that. He did it by choice. Because the Father loved you and me in our miserable condition enough to take a risk on our miserable condition and send His only, only, only begotten Son. That kind of love is unequal. Nobody loves like that. God said, I'm going to spend all I've got. I'm going to go broke in sonship so that I can redeem you to me and you'll come back to me as sons, many sons. He wanted the very, very best for those who were the very, very worst. Christ wanted the very best. Yahweh God wanted the very best for those who are the very worst, the very best. I want you all to have eternal, anyone, 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 to have eternal life. I want you to have that. I want you to have that, even though you might be the very worst. How often 
do we ever consider the little rascal down the street that's growing up down the road smoking dope and kicking your dog and doing all the things that they're doing? And we say, I want them to have the very best, even though they're the very worst. When's the last time we looked at that person that's working beside us or across the room or down the hall or down the road or across the country, wherever they are, and we looked at them and said, oh, they're the very worst. And we thought to ourselves in the middle of that, but I want them to have the very best. Think about it. That kind of love is unequal when the father says, I want the very best for the very worst. In whatever condition they're in, I love them enough where I'm going to make provision so that they have opportunity to have eternal life. It's up to them whether they choose it. But the love of God says, this is unequaled. I care about you. You matter to me. Get it. His love is unconditional. 1 John 3, 1, in the English Standard Version says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. I love... Those of you that know my story, the man that raised me was not, is not, was not, when he was, he was, he passed in 2013, but he was in every way my father, and yet he was not my dad, biologically. And I didn't know that until I was 12 years old. I did not know that he was not my biological father until I was 12. I did not meet my biological father until I was 18, 19. I can never remember. And that was pretty much it for him. But the man that raised me, my dad, my father, I never knew growing up in his house I never knew when he would throw the pots and pans down the stairs because we lived in the we slept in the basement, my brother and I, and he, which was his natural son, and he would throw pots and pans down the staircase stairwell so that they would go bling, 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 on Saturday morning at sunrise <laughs> in the summer, and I'm eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. I don't have I have no idea what sleeping in means. No idea. And he would throw those things down the stairs to wake us up. And me and my brother, I'd be on the top bunk, and he was on the bottom bunk, and we'd be like, oh, it can't be time. And my dad would be at the top of the stairs, get up, boys. It's time to go hoe the garden. Time to go pick the okra. Time to go pull the weeds. Pick the tomatoes. And he would yell it from the top of the stairs. And we'd get up. And I'd go outside with my brother and we'd get out there and we'd hoe and we would pick and we would pull and we would whatever it took. We would 
get bloody on our hands. If you've ever picked raspberries off a raspberry bush, you know what that's like? You just, you, it's like a war. There's a reason raspberries are expensive. Somebody gave their life to put those in that thing for you. <laughs> and we'd be out there and we'd pull those and put them in the little containers that he had and then he'd give them out wherever and do whatever with them and we'd eat a few of them and lick our wounds. But every day during the summer, sunrise, pots came down the stairs, that was our alarm clock, go outside, pick the garden, do whatever we had to do out. It wasn't a big garden, it was about an acre, acre and a half, I think, I can't remember now, it was a little, it seemed like it was, it seemed like it was the size of Texas. And <laughs> And then he would say, when you're done with that, then you can go play ball. And man, we would try to get out. And we didn't dare not pick it well. He better not go out there and find a ripe tomato on the tomato plant. Or find okra that should have been picked. Or carrots that should have been pulled. So we'd go. And we'd go out and we'd play. And I'm making a point with this. And I did that every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. And the summertime chores, I mean the wintertime chores, whatever the chores were, you taking out the trash, we're cleaning out the garage, work. It was always work. Around my dad, I'm not lazy today and I'm not lazy because my dad taught me work is good. Work is good. If you don't teach your kids to work, shame on you. Make them work. They don't want to work. Too bad. Make them work. Tell them they're not eating until they work. That's how it used to work. You eat dinner when you finish that chore. Well, I don't want to finish that chore. Well, you ain't eating. You're hearing me this morning. We're talking about the love of God. Sounds like love, doesn't it? In the wintertime, we take out the trash. We had an old Atari video game. The old, what was it, the old... Uh, Pong. Was it Pong? What, you, you just had a little thing and you had two little lines and it would, that's all you had was Pong. And we had that and I was little and I, I just remember all I wanted to do was play Pong. And we couldn't play Pong till everything was done. The garage was clean, the driveway was swept, the grass was whatever it was. If it was winter, shovel the snow, whatever it was. Again, I'm making a point. Every day. Spring, summer, winter, fall. I got up every day. And I stood beside my brother, who's four and a half years old, older than me. And I stood beside my brother, and I went to work with my brother. And every day, he and I worked. And every day, he and I did the same thing. Every day, we got whipped for the same thing. We did get whipped. We'd get whipped. We'd be told. My dad would say, there's two chairs. You did whatever we did. You bend over that one. You bend over that one. He didn't whip my brother any harder than he whipped me. And he didn't whip me any harder than he whipped my brother. But he whipped us. That's probably not the right. He spanked us is probably a better word. Well, it felt like a whipping. And he spanked us. And when he'd tell me to go out and get a switch off of the tree, he'd tell my brother, go get a switch. We had a cherry tree in the backyard. And you go out there and you get a switch. And you didn't get the wrong size switch. You got the right size. You didn't get one that was too big. You didn't get one that was too small. This became an art. And you begin to scientifically try to, if we'd have had internet back then, we would have Googled what's the proper size of switch, the one that hurts the least, but, but it's acceptable. <laughs> Which one won't leave whelps? I don't know if we ever found one of those. Because when it was all done, I looked like a, like a tiger, man. I had stripes all across. 
My, my wife and I raised our kids with a rule, we only spank them twice. My dad raised us with a rule, do it bad, and I spank you bad. Do it nice, and I'll spank you light. But whatever, I mean, it, we got, it was, anyway, never mind. But we would go get it, and we would do it together. Me and my brother, I'm making my point. Stay with me. Stay with me. God's love is unconditional. And my father that raised me, I didn't know he wasn't my biological father till I was 12 years old. And when he told me, I couldn't have been more surprised. Because there was not a single day that I was growing up that he treated me any different than he did the son of his own loins. There was not a single day that he would not have given me everything that he would have given his own natural son. I never breathed one breath of air that was less valuable than my brother's in my father's eyes. If someone had asked my dad, which one is yours and which one is adopted or which one came to you another way, my dad would have said, I've long forgotten. I don't know which is which. And I'm going to tell you today, the love of God is unconditional in the same way because my father's love for me did not come with conditions. He said, you became my responsibility and you have received my discipline. You received my instruction. You received my training. You, you've come into the school, the, par the Parker School of Hard Knocks. And you have accepted being a student in that school. And my, con my love for you is unconditional. And I will not treat you any different than I treat my very own son. And the father is the same way. He loves us so much. And the way my dad, my father loved me. I grew up with a clear understanding of what it was like to be loved by a father. He was a disciplinary. He was strict. He was country. He was southern. He was a farmer. He was a hard worker. If you weren't sweating, you weren't doing enough. And I'm better for it today. And the Father loves us so much. He says, on your worst day, even on your worst day, when you've done the dumbest thing you could possibly do, when you've done the thing that simply you think in every way separated you from me, my love is unconditional. See, his love is unconditional. But the reward is different. His love never ceases, but he can't release his promise to those who haven't received the love. What good would it have been for Ibra Parker to have loved Steve Parker and then when I found out that he wasn't my biological father for me to run away? I still today consider daily the rewards that I gained because I continued to walk with a man whose blood wasn't even in my veins. I recognize the qualities of life at least from my perspective, that are in me. 
at the root of those qualities. They came out of a man who owed me nothing and yet unconditionally received me. He didn't worry about the circumstances or how I came into his home. He didn't get caught up in that. For 12 years, he never mentioned it. And he only brought it up because of a circumstance that came up and he could not avoid the conversation. If it hadn't have been for that, I don't know when he would have said it. Because it didn't matter to him. Because Steve was his boy. No matter what the conditions were that you came into this thing, you are my boy, and unconditionally I'm going to love you just like I do this one that you believe is your brother. And it's God's love for you and me. It is absolutely in every way unconditional. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and we are. That kind of love where the father can say, you are mine. You belong to me. Dakari, he says, you belong to me. Ma'am, you belong to God. Sir, you belong to God. Sarah, you belong to the father. You belong to him. And he's yelling out at all of us today and he's saying, you belong to me. You are my children and unconditionally, I love you. Mine and yours, we share them sometimes together, sometimes individually. But our failings, our sin, while they might separate us from God, they do not keep us from God. See, sin will separate us from God, but there's a difference between being separated and kept from. Sin, let me use this. Sin, if this is sin, God loves, this is a man, a woman, this is a son, this is me, this is you. Sin will separate us from God, but not keep us from God. While it might put space between us, it never puts us outside of the reach of the Father's ability to say, when you repent, without condition, I forgive. When you repent, without condition, I forgive. His love is constant. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me ask you a question, a very practical question. How many of us in this room, uh, don't answer in case there is somebody that might say yes to this, but how many in this room would go out and pay top dollar for a vehicle that didn't have anything but a frame in the hopes that one day it could be something. Nobody in this room would go pay for a frame the cost of a finished product. Before the finished product was there. And he said, and Christ died for us while we were still sinners. God's love is constant. He said, even in that place, I'm going to, as I said earlier, I'm going to use my son as currency so that redemption can come to you. Because my love for you on the day that I breathed 
breath into you is as constant today as it was then. My love for you is as constant now as it was in your sin as it was in the day I breathed life into you in your holiness. The deal that God has to love us never expires. Mm. And his love is also our answer. We do not have any sin, any past, any mistakes, any failures, any sickness, any disease that his love cannot heal. His love is the answer we needed yesterday. It's the answer we need today. And it is the answer we will need tomorrow. Every single day. His love is the answer to every question you have. Not simply hearing what religion will tell you is God loves you. All you need to know is God loves you. That's not good enough. I need to know God loves me. That's true. But more than that, I need to feel his tangible love. I need to see his love at work. And we do. His love is the answer. And when we can receive him, Peggy, when we can receive the promise of God, Because the love of God is a promise to you and me. When I can receive that, when I can accept that, it lets me do something that he did almost always before we do, forgive us. He forgives you, most of us, long before we forgive ourselves. And he loved us in our unforgiven condition because he has hope that you will bring glory to him and that you will rule and reign going all the way back for God so loved the world that he wants to redeem you so that you can own it. He wants to redeem you so that you can own it and return the glory back to him. Do you hear me today? His promise to you and me is, I will love you, I will love you, I will love you. Rising up in the morning and lying down at night. I'm going to love you when you get up in the morning just like I loved you when you you went to bed at night. I'm going to love you when you're on top of the mountain and I'm going to love you when you think you're in your deepest valley. I'm going to love you when you're making every right decision and I'm going to love you when you're making every wrong one. I'm going to love you when you said some good things and I'm going to love you when you said some bad. I'm going to love you when you say you know me and I'm going to love you when you question whether or not I exist. I'm going to love you. He said, I'm going to love you. That is my promise and my promise is yes and amen and I will never go back on my promise but whatever I say to you, Whatever he says to you, it is yes and amen. It is yes and amen. I want you to know today. He gave everything that he had, Cole, so that we could have the right kind of relationship with him. And there's nobody in this room that has done enough to keep you from God. Somebody says, well, what if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit says that's an unforgivable sin. You wouldn't be here this morning if you had gotten to that place because you would have had no desire to be here. If you're in this building this morning, there's still conviction left. And as long as there's conviction left, 
you're not too far out there. Do you hear me today? As long as you can get up and you have any desire at all to know the things of God, I can tell you you haven't gone too far. He loves you and you matter to Him. He wants to change the earth and He's looking to change the earth with a people who are passionate for who He is. Who want to dive into Him, who want to know Him, who want to lay hold, as we talked about in the first service, the horns of that altar and say, Father... Your love is unconditional. Your love is constant. Your love is yes and amen. Your love is unequaled. Your love is always, 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 always the answer. And I can lay hold of that. And I can receive that today. And I can receive that love to be the open door for repentance to say, forgive me. I understand again today that you really do love me. Your promise is that you will love me. And you are fulfilling that today. Stand with me if you would, please. Father, I lift my voice over the people in this house. The men, the women, sons and daughters, those who have relationship with you and those who don't. And I ask that today you will minister to the heart of every single man and woman. Is there anybody that's in this room right now and you'll say, Steve Parker, I do not have relationship with Jesus Christ, but I want to have relationship with him. Would you lift your hand? Just lift your hand. Amen. Amen. Father, I lift my voice over these. I lift my voice over the people, over this, every person that's, that can hear it today. And I pray that your salvation will come to them exactly how you sent it. Your salvation came in the form of your son, Jesus Christ, and I pray that every single person will receive your son exactly as you sent him to redeem us, to help us see, help us be changed, to know that we are forgiven. Not to wonder. Nobody has to walk out of here wondering, am I forgiven? Am I really saved? Do I really have a relationship? No one has to do that. But right now, Holy Spirit, you do the miraculous today and heal every heart. Let every man, every woman who has a heart and a passion to know you, let there be a knowing in them today that their relationship, that they are sons and they are daughters of God. They are children of God. And that the currency of Christ has come to purchase their salvation and to reconcile them back yes. to you. Hallelujah. Let it be today. Let it be today. Be glorified by it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. I bless you today. I love you. 